0: And all during that generation, they followed the Lord faithfully. And part of the secret of that is they had experienced what God had done. With this great compliment, however, there's this hanging question that we have to ask. What happened next? Once they came to the end of the beginning of the conquest, what happened next? What about the next generation? Not the new generation that took the land, but what about their children and their children's children? What happened with them? You see, the question is, was this for them an end of the beginning and a new time of glory, or was this really the beginning of the end for Israel and her faithfulness? And it's an important question because it happens with every change of generation, not just in Israel, but among us. When we look at the truth, we find the sad reality in Judges 2, 10 through 12. So, if you've been in your Bibles in Joshua 24, just turn over a couple of chapters into Judges. What comes next in the Scriptures? And I want you to hear what the words meant in Joshua twenty four thirty one. Because Judges tells us. Judges chapter 2, verse 6. After Joshua had dismissed the the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Sounds just like what we read, right? Verse 8. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of a hundred and ten. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath-Harris. And he was placed in the ground in the country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Third time that's said in this string of passages. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, their God the God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt. They followed him, and they worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. And they aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. And in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hand of raiders who plundered them. And they began a cycle that lasts for 400 years. The cycle of futility, unfaithfulness, disaster, disunity, and destruction. The sad reality is when we look at what is said about Joshua and Caleb going to their reward and Israel being left with a new generation that had not taken the promised land, but had been the children of those that had taken the promised land, we see the disaster that befell them. And the question is, how did faith go into eclipse so quickly? How did they lose this passion, this faith in God, this trust, this excitement about taking the promised land? Where did all that go? We learn they didn't even celebrate the Passover anymore. They didn't keep the great festivals. How did faith go into eclipse so quickly? Well, we hear the three principles that lie behind the loss of faithfulness are the opportunity to establish a new owned faithfulness. A new generation arises, it happens. None of us are going to be here long. I, I, I was with a group of six guys yesterday. All of us have been involved in ministry for. Uh, nearly 40 years of our lives. And we're all sandwiched generation. We're all wrestling with issues of our parents and their aging. And and some of them have have passed on to be with the Lord and others. It's just difficult because now we're parenting our parents. But we also have young adult children and, and we're excited about them. But we want them to pass on their faith to their children, our grandchildren. It happens. A new generation arises. Things change. But here are the realities. The folks neither knew the Lord, nor had they experienced the mighty things that God had done. Why do you go on mission trips? Well, we want to share the good news of Jesus. We want other people to know Christ. We want to serve those that are in need. And all that is spot on mission for Jesus. But I can't wait till my nine-year-old grandson is a year or two older, and he's going to go on mission with me. We got friends that take their grandkids to D.C. or Disney World. And we may do that, but that's not what I'm excited about. I want my grandkids to go serve in a barrio in South America and see what life is like. Or go with me to Africa and be in a a rubble where people live in 50 square foot houses and there's six or seven or eight of them that all sleep in that one place. And that's where all their possessions are. And I want them to see what happens when those people come to Christ and how joyful they are and how they've experienced the grace of God and the Holy Spirit moves through that and how their whole neighborhoods that come to Christ in a moment of God's grace and His glory so that they understand that happiness is not living the American dream but walking in the power of God's Holy Spirit. Because all American dream is going to lie in rubble and dust. But those that have experienced the almighty God who is the great I am are connected to something that doesn't ever wear out or fade or get destroyed. See, this young group that took the promised land with the old dudes Joshua and Caleb, they lost something along the way. They forgot to share the passion of their faith and let their children experience the great works of God. The more I travel, the more I'm around people in our country and in our churches, there's a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of disappointment, a lot of concern about the loss of values and the loss of morality and... uh, the, the fact that church is not the same as it used to be. And I try to remind folks that railing against culture just vents our anger onto others. It doesn't do anything to redeem anything. It just makes us mean, spiteful people. And it sure doesn't help the future generations live faithfully. And so the question that we're left with this book of Joshua and the question that we face at this moment in our land and in our people and in our churches is how do we be more than a bunch of angry Christians that wish America was like it was 30 years ago? And some of the people that say that weren't even alive 30 years ago. They don't know that the good old days never were. We just remember them better. And there were some things that were better, but there were some things that are not. So somewhere along the way, we've got to become a generation. And it doesn't matter whether we're older than dirt and we came to America just as earth's crust began to cool, or whether we just have come down the chute and entered the loving arms of a family that's waiting for us. Every single one of us needs to hear the warning that if we don't know God, not just know about God, but know God, and if we don't experience the great works that he's doing, we're going to break faith. And so there's this little prayer from Habakkuk, is what's left of God's people many years after the failure of faith after Joshua and Caleb and the generation after them. And what's left of the people are about to be destroyed. And Habakkuk says this simple prayer. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. But I ask, I beg, I plead. Repeat them. Renew them in our day, in our time. Make them known. You see, the the problem for the people was not that they didn't know about God. Those children knew about God. They heard about God. They had their own version of Sunday school, it was just Sabbath school. But the problem was they hadn't experienced His power and His might. I lived through the sixties. I saw people reach for experience. And I went to churches that said that the stuff that we read in the New Testament is what we're to copy. Except we can't expect any of the powerful stuff because that ended after the book of Acts. And my question is, why was anybody surprised? that people bailed on that. You're asking folks to be archaeologists, studiers of the ancient past. But God didn't say, I'm the God who is and was. He says, I'm the great I am, who is and was and is to come. I dwell in all times simultaneously. I am the great I am. When you see in your Bibles the capital Lord, that's what it's saying. Yahweh, the great I am. And the people had lost touch with the great I am and they didn't know him. They hadn't experienced his work. So it's easy to give up faith because it's just something in your noggin. There wasn't sweat equity in it. They hadn't seen God make them better than they were when they were on a mission trip and they were out of gas emotionally and physically and He used you. And He changed people's lives. Or how He's connected people from different churches in different places all around the world just to lead a small little group of people to Christ. And you didn't even know you were all connected until those people came and confessed Jesus and then you met each other. See, the problem was... Not that they didn't know about God. They knew about God. They just didn't experience Him. And what they had done is they had made the Lord, the God of Israel, into a past tense God. And there is no future for a people whose God is past tense. There is no future for a church, a movement, or a congregation Whose God throttled back his power and decided to wait on the sidelines to see what people would do after the apostles all died. When Israel took that approach, they went into eclipse and they quit praying. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord, because I've seen them. I've experienced them. I've been a part of them. I've seen what you can do with common people like me. And so I beg you to repeat them. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. Let us know it in our bones. I was sitting in church the Sunday after Thanksgiving in 1995. And I didn't know what to do with all this content I had. And just as clear as I could hear my wife's voice, I had this conviction in my spirit that the Lord was saying, the internet dummy. And he took two guys that didn't know what they were doing, and he reaches 300,000 people or more a day, every single day. I'm not smart that way. We didn't do everything right. But we prayed that prayer. And so for me, God is not a past tense God. And I've seen it time and time again when people have gone on mission trips or when people have gone and they've served those in their own community. Because in many ways, serving people in our own community, is even more threatening because they know us. And then if we say it among them, we've got to live up to it because they know who we are. Israel quit praying the prayer. And so the end of their beginning became the beginning of their end. They quit being the people God called them to be. And they lived this vicious cycle. And little bit by little bit, They sunk further and further into depravity. That's what the book of Judges is about. You read the book of Judges, there's some stuff you don't want a middle schooler reading. Which is a hint for middle schoolers to go read. I dare you to do it. And think about it. The hero, who are the heroes in the book of Judges? Samson. A guy that Jerry Jones would draft for the Cowboys, but not a single man in here would ever want to date his daughter. Am I wrong? And it gets worse after Samuel, but that's all God had to work with. And he kept that hope alive. And there were little pockets of flares of people who kept praying that prayer. Well, the question is not about them. We're here today. What do we do in our moment, in our time, in this church, in this period of transition? And what's powerful is God gives us a blueprint. The problem is, is we quit following that blueprint. Israel quit following the blueprint. So if you go to Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 12, you hear a passage. And I didn't put it on the screen because so many of you know it. But if you have a Bible, I hope you'll turn to it. Deuteronomy is not very far from Judges. Just back to books. Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on your door frames, the door frames of your houses, write them even on your gates. It's going public with your faith, isn't it? When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large and flourishing cities you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful. Be careful. That you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You realize when Jews celebrate Passover they speak in the present tense. The Seder meal is done in the present tense. And it wasn't their forefathers that were delivered from Egypt. It was them. Because that God is at work in them today. That's what Moses, speaking for God, is saying to the people of Israel. Israel. So I want to give you what I think is a powerful formula, and it's not my formula. I didn't come up with it. It's not a preacher's thing. It it kind of sounds similar. I wished it didn't, but you'll remember it better because it does. There are three things that are emphasized here that are important. How do we not let this time of transition be the beginning of our end, but just the end of a new beginning? All right, here are three things. We've got to say it. We've got to say our faith. We've got to say that faith to our children. We've got to say that faith to our spouse. We've got to say it to the people around us. It's got to be our language. I don't care that Des was not supposed to play last night, and he played and he caught a touchdown. I don't care about that. That's big, overpaid men playing a game. But we talk about that more than we talk about the Lord in whose future our children rest. Well, I watch the Cowboys? Yeah, I'll watch them some. If you really want to know the truth, I'd like to give Jerry Jones about a tin bubble baptism. and see if we could get him to meet a little more Jesus along the way, but that's another side story that we'll say for a later time. But we've got to say it. We've got to speak what we believe. And it's scary to speak what we believe, because if we speak it in our homes, we've got to live up to it in front of our children. The second thing we've got to do, and thank God, and I mean that in every way sincerely for our women who help us do this, we got to display it. I've already gone into several homes, probably seven or eight homes that are part of this church family. And and in every single one of them, I've seen something that clearly says this is a house where the Lord is present and honored. But we got to display it. It's got to be who we are. Everybody else is out of the closet today. Why don't we as Christians come out of the closet? Anybody ever ask that question? Not to be mean or bullish, but to be people of righteous character and gracious compassion, both of the qualities of God we're called to be. Don't be afraid to be identified with that. I guarantee you it's going to be less and less popular in the culture to be one in the next 10 or 15 years so if we don't go on record that we're that, our kids and our grandkids ain't. That's just the truth. So we've got to say it, we've got to display it, and we've got to obey it. The most dangerous thing to a kid's faith is the mediocre commitment of his or her parents and their faith. I said that when I was 19, and I had six teenagers respond. But I'd cut off my right arm if their parents had all responded. I've never been in church very long where the kids in the youth group weren't actually better in their faith than their parents. Don't let that be so. You be the one in the lead. You obey what God has called you to do and explain it. I know a lot of families that have slammed the door on the TV and don't let it in, and I understand that principle. But somewhere along the way, we've got to learn that our kids are going to get exposed to a lot of that stuff. So instead of slamming the door completely on it, debrief after it. Don't let the false witness of truth in your home and not talk about what's been said, shown, done. And how it fits in our faith. You know, yeah, we as grandparents, we have even a more powerful role and invitation into our grandkids' life because we're not around them all the time. There's a sweetness to that relationship that gives us an opportunity. So we say it, we display it, we obey it, and then finally, we're going to keep praying it. Say it with me. Lord, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. Every new generation stands on the threshold of abandoning faith or just mediocrely carrying on or giving up faith. The Israelite people chose the middle of the road and eventually nearly all of them gave up faith. But the righteous remnant out of which Jesus came offered all of us a new opportunity. And so as we stand on the threshold of a new school year, an intense ramping up of a focus on search, and you'll hear more about search team, let's also make this our opportunity to invite God in to be real in first person. I don't know where you are in your walk with Jesus. I, I hope it's rich. I hope you've experienced his work. There's a lot of good things going on in this church where I know the, the, the work of the people here is, has given them an opportunity to invite the Holy Spirit, to make Jesus real. They've seen him be real as they've served people, as they've shared the gospel, as they've gone on trips or as they've taught but maybe you've never done that yourself. We declared at the Lord's Supper that Jesus came from heaven, became flesh and blood, and he gave up that body to let love triumph over sin and death, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, to silence the power of the demons of hell, to claim us, and he was raised from the dead to give us Not a wish for eternal life, but the assurance of it. And this morning, if you believe that, you can actually share in his death, burial, and resurrection and baptism and know that you belong to him and he's going to put his spirit in you. And it can be a new day. So while all of us commit to let this be the end of the beginning so that we can begin a new day, we hope this is the very first beginning for you, and that you come as we stand and sing.